The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So Ecclesia, we're in a series, and, uh, and it's one that we have already, those of us that are preaching and teaching, have been a bit blown away by, um, and we're excited for the coming weeks. And it's, it's simply a series we're calling, um, uh, we're, I forget what we're calling it exactly. <laughs> What she said, and it's about the things that, um, that many great women of faith um, have uh, offered to us and that maybe we've missed. We're looking at church history, at unique women in church history, and the voices of sometimes female theologians that have been a bit drowned out, and this week is the perfect example of one. So I decided that I wanted to um, read all the books of one of my friends, Rene Padilla. Rene Padilla is uh, a well-known liberation theologian from Latin America. He's a good friend of mine. He preached at Ecclesia a number of times. Sadly, he passed away during COVID. Uh, and he has a daughter, Ruth Padilla, that's also a fabulous theologian. And, uh, and I thought, I need to read all of Ruth's books. And so I ordered her books and I was preparing to preach on Ruth Padilla's work. Um, I'm not really good at the Amazon thing. And I, and I ordered a book by Elaine Padilla as well. Um, and Elaine Padilla wrote a book called Divine Enjoyment. She is not related, related to Renee. I don't know who she is, but I ordered a book and thought I should at least read it. Freaking brilliant. Literally today, what I tell you, it may be the most impactful uh, read that I've had in a, maybe a decade. And what I want to offer you today um, from her work, and again, the title is Divine Enjoyment. And the subtitle is A Theology of Passion and Exuberance. And this is basically what she says, and I want to ask you to take it seriously today. Is it possible that we've imagined God in all the wrong ways? If you're like me, I grew up in a church where God was a stoic figure off in the distance, was often very passive and sometimes angry, but overall not really engaged. What Elaine Padilla asks us to imagine is a God who plays with us, who is passionate in his love for us, and who finds so much joy in the world that he created and specifically in us. In fact, this is how she says it. She says, let us inaugurate the age of a God who belly laughs out loud in disruptive ways. Let us welcome play. Now, most of you, if I'd asked you before you got here, what is your image of God? Anybody would have said belly laughing as the primary image of God, right? And I'll tell you after reading Elaine's book, I'm convinced she's right. And let me finish the quote. I got distracted by the belly laughing. Let us welcome play and let us join the celebration that welcomes the elements of air, fire, water, and earth at the interconnectivity with all living beings. And this is what Elaine Padilla essentially says. God created us to be a part of one big beautiful party and he participates in that party. Now, if you grew up in a church like I did, and you'll know if you did, the worst thing you could say about when someone is you go like, oh, she loves to party. Anybody else grow up in that kind of church and was like, oh, wow, she does? What if our kids grow up in a church where that's the most spiritual compliment we could give someone? He loves to party. She loves to party. What if Tony Campola was right a couple of decades ago when he wrote a book and he said, the kingdom of God is a party. 
What, what, if, what if he was on the right track and the rest of us just totally missed it? Now I gotta tell you, this book landed for me in the right time and season. So the good news for me is that last weekend I married the most amazing person on the planet. And, um, and I have... Um, Kirby Trappolino at the back of the room took that photo and he always makes me look better. I actually look at that and I'm like, I kind of look handsome even. I never thought I was handsome before. And when Kirby takes a photo of me, I actually look good. And uh, I, we literally, um, and if you know and any of your stories, right? You go through some hard times and you never can imagine that life could be anything like what you think joy and party and celebration could be. And somehow God brings you through these hard times, these most beautiful times. And last weekend, we did just an intimate wedding and then we're gonna do a party here. We're gonna do a party in Alabama in this little town called Fairhope where she lives. And, uh, and it just, it was so great. We literally, our kids were with us. The, the wedding started to close down after midnight, but the family just wouldn't let go. So our kids were on the dance floor with us till like 3.30 a.m. Um, and it's one of those moments as a parent where you're like, I have taught my kids how to party well. And, um, and at the end of the night, they wanted to go get one more photo booth photo. And like all kids want to do, like they think the only photo to take is one where you're jumping in the air, which is not what you really want to do at 3.30, but we did. And our youngest, Jesse, hit Kristen's wine glass and literally just like wine all down the dress. And we realized in that moment, like, this is just a picture of what a, like, if you hadn't spilled wine on something, you have not partied appropriately. And maybe it ought to be on the bridal dress and something about that beauty. And what I want to offer to you today from Elaine Padilla's book, again, that I ordered by accident. And with God, like, there are no accidents. And part of what she suggests, I think this is my, if you read it, you'll be like, this is super boring theological talk. But what she's really saying is life is about God delighting in us and us delighting in God. And I realize one of my favorite words is this Spanish word, arriba. And it's like, it literally means up, but it's a statement of delight. Right? It's, like, it's kind of like George Jefferson's moving on up, right? It's like, this is so good. And when I have a meal that's so good, I hear music that's so good. When I see something that's so beautiful. And so I, um, I'm going to ask you to stretch with me a little bit today. And I want to play you one of my absolute favorite songs I've ever heard and music videos I've ever watched. How many of you are Los Lobos fans? Do we have some Los Lobos fans in the room? So I saw Los Lobos at the rodeo, I don't know, a couple decades ago. And I just went, this transcends Latin music. This this is like, if you're in a bad mood, put on Los Lobos on your, your Spotify and your spirit will be lifted. So um, what I want to ask you to do is we're, they also do what may be one of the greatest songs ever uh, written and performed by Richie Valens. Did he write it? I think he wrote it. I'm going to say he wrote it. And uh, La Bamba, right? Which when I was a kid was performed uh, in the movie by Lou Diamond Phillips. So I think of it as Lou Diamond Phillips. But they do a world version of this song, right? And it's the most playful, beautiful song. And the climax of the song for me is Arriba, Arriba, and you're gonna hear La Marisol uh, declare Arriba, Arriba in the most beautiful ways. And this is what I'm gonna invite you to do. The band's gonna play with it. I'm gonna ask you to stand with us for this. this nobody thinks of La Bamba as a gospel song, okay? <laughs> it's not been church music maybe ever before, and I wanna suggest to you Arriba, arriba might be equal or better to or the same as hallelujah or amen. 
And I'm gonna ask you to actually sing, it's just the chorus is bailar la bamba. Like you're like, I don't speak Spanish. Bailar la bamba, just, and, the, and then I'm gonna dare you not to laugh, smile, or dance just a little bit. So La Bamba by Los Lobos and the Ecclesia Man. You crushed it, Ecclesia, you can sit down. Right, wait. Maybe, maybe that's the most spiritual song you can sing, right? This playful, like if you don't understand some of the words, right? There's soy, no soy marinero, I'm not a sailor, right? I'm the captain, right? I'm not just sailing on the boat, I'm the captain. And this, and un poco de gracia, just a little grace, right? And uh, I wonder, I wonder what life would be like for our kids. I know it would be different for me if I didn't grow up. I, I grew up going to Sunday school class. Thank God they told me about Jesus and I'm so grateful for what I did have. But we sat in a chair and people were kind of, they seemed mad at us. Anybody else grew up and I'm like, are they mad at me? Did I, what did I do wrong? And like our kids went to the West Side this week and their version of church was like running through sprinklers and splash pads. And I wonder, like, what, what would it be like for our kids to grow up in a church where the best thing you could say is she knows how to party? 
Like she knows because God blessed her. And she has so much to be grateful for. So I want to share with you just a few insights from Elaine's book. And then I have a few thoughts on if all of that is true. And we have imagined God in some of the wrong ways. What does it mean for us? How would we be different? So here's, I'm going to give you three things from her book that I think were really important. And here's the first thing. She says, we already know that God enters into suffering with us. And we all have been through hard times. And we know that God moves towards those who are suffering. But Elaine Padilla makes an important distinction as she talks about God engaging suffering. And she actually credits another Latina theologian, uh, Maria Clara Benjamin. And she says this, that Maria Clara Benjamin says that when God enters suffering, it's more like what happens when we experience the suffering of the womb. That God enters into suffering as a journey towards joy and ecstasy. If you've ever been in a birthing room, right, and you know that it's so unbelievable that you can go from agony and suffering and groaning and moaning and pain to pure ecstasy, right? And, and, and it talks about it in, in John 16. Jesus talks about this reality that, it's, that women can go through childbirth and they literally, it talks about in John 16, they forget. It's the reason some of you have two, three, four, five, six kids, right? Because something happens and literally the doctors could tell you like the hormones kick in and you don't even remember what you went through. And you know what? Life is a bit like that. There were times that I could have looked back two years ago, three, four years ago. I would have told you like that. I don't, I don't know that life will ever be what I would hope it could be. And you know what? Mostly I don't even remember it anymore. It, it's gone. And God said, she says, when God enters into suffering, he's not just entering into that suffering, but he's taking us someplace that will give birth to great and utter and beautiful joy. And I find a lot of hope in that. Then secondly, she says, what if we imagined our God as a yearning and a longing God, right? One who's actually pursuing us, but hear this, pursuing us in beautiful ways. I, when I was growing up, I was taught like God's always with you, God's always present, but it's like, he's watching you, right? So like in youth group, they were like, hey, 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 be careful, like don't make out with your girlfriend, God's pulling up a chair and like watching, right? And you're like, that is the creepiest thing I've ever heard in my life, right? And there was a sense like God's watching to catch you in something. And Lampedia says, no, 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 God like loves you delights in you, like wants that intimacy and connection. And when you find joy, even in the smallest things, right? When I get up in the morning and taste my coffee, and for me, it's like, right? Anybody else get up in the morning, just like, I just literally think like, who's the first person that figured out like, if you grind those beans and pour hot water over them? it will create something you never imagined. Like who thought of that? Like they were just beans and somebody was like, I know what we can do with them, right? And I literally, I taste my coffee, I'm like, wow. God must love me to make a coffee bean like that. And that every time we find delight and joy that God's like, oh, that's what I made you for. Like that, that's what I long for. And she suggests and she, she leans on the work of many of the great mystics. And for us, it seems foreign 
or odd, but historically, many of the great mystics chose a vow of celibacy. They spent their life without an earthly lover, and so for them, it was really important to imagine God as a heavenly lover, as one who was passionately in love with them. And so people like Teresa of Avila, if you read her work, she writes about God in these passionate and beautiful terms. And to realize like that's what God's love is like for us. So when she talks about in John 21, it's a passage I've preached. And when you're a pastor, once you preach the passage like a hundred times, you kind of think you know it, right? And, and she says there's this exchange. John 21 is beautiful for me, mainly because Jesus cooks for the disciples, right? He makes them pita bread and, and he fries up some fish, which is a fish taco. And, he, and I think he puts a hummus tahini kind of salsa with maybe mangoes on it. I'm not sure. But if Jesus made it, it's going to taste good, right? And he serves it up. And then he has this beautiful exchange with Peter. That for me, when I'm preaching, and I've always just thought of it as almost therapeutic because Peter denied Christ three times. Jesus predicted it. So like some of us have also felt like Jesus or somebody predicted like we were going to fail and then we fail, which is even worse because it's like we knew it was going to go down. And then they have this exchange and three times he lets Peter declare his love for him, right? And I always just think of it as like, yeah, that's what you do. It's like three times denied, three times. And the late Padilla says, no, 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 they're just doing what lovers do. If you're in love with someone, you've done this, where you say, I love you, and they go, you do? I love you so much. You do? Yeah. I love you so much. Really? I do. I love you so much. That's what lovers do. And all of a sudden, I'm reading this passage in John 21 that I've read a million times, and I'm going, wait, maybe God really loves us like that. Like, really? like wants to hear it, right? That's why you do it with somebody you love, not because you're like, do you really? Because you're like, will you say it again? Anybody else know what I'm talking about or just me, right? He's like, will you, will you say it again? I'd love, I just want to hear it one more time because my ears, like it sounds so good coming into my ears to hear that you love me. And Jesus loves us with that kind of love. Now that changes the way, at least for me, that I see God. Then I'll give you the third one and then I'm just gonna wrestle with a few questions from it. Then she says that God is actually permeable. So God changes and evolves and, and actually when you do something, right, because you're in an intimate relationship with God and you like blow God off, just like us, if, if you blow off your lover, they're jilted, they're hurt. And that God actually feels and is hurt by our rejections, right? And the reality is this changes the way that we interact with God. And we begin to realize, like, you're not some stoic figure off in the skies that's unchanged. Like, when I spend no time with you, when you offer up for me, and many of us could tell this story, that God, like, laid it before you, like the perfect thing, and you just, you didn't walk into it. Anybody else have a story like that where you're just like, I had the right, like the right thing and I just, I blew it. And I know it was God and I just, I blew it. That there's this, this real interaction uh, between us and God. And that's why God says things. Um, like you read this passage where Jesus says to the disciples after the last supper, he says to them like, I won't drink that good wine again until we're together in the kingdom of God. 
That, that's the kind of thing a lover that cares about someone says, right? Where you're like, that Dom Perignon, that's for our anniversary. Like, you don't just drink that when you come home at five o'clock on a Friday because you're tired, right? That's for us. And we hold things because we love, like, even for me, like Top Gun, like you don't watch that without me, right? Like we're doing that together because it's important. So we're going to do it together. Not, you're not watching that with your kids or some random neighbor. Like we're going to watch that together. And Jesus say, there are special things that only we will share. Now I got to tell you for me, this allows me to reimagine God in some new and beautiful ways. Rabbi, Rabbi um, Bradley Artson says it this way. He says, joy for its own sake. Right? Laughter and conviviality without pretext, meeting times advanced with unapologetic delight, raucous noise, good friends. These are nothing less than the eruption of the hidden light cracking the conventional crust of our mature good sense. Our dehumanizing obsession with control, our idolatrous reliance on possession as salvation. Now, I love this quote because I grew up in a world where salvation was something you owned. Being right was the important thing. And what if it's this kind of crazy, raucous joy that's really the sign of the kingdom and it's breaking through the cracks? And I got to tell you, Ecclesia, the more I read it, the more I think that's what I want our kids to grow up experiencing. So... I got a few questions that I'm asking myself and maybe you're asking that hopefully I can give you a little context for. So let me offer those to you and then we'll celebrate communion. Here's the first. What if we imagined God in all the wrong ways? If we really did, what should it change? This is what I'd tell you. I think it should, it should change our prayer life, right? That we would, anybody else, just because you grew up with this, as soon as you start to pray, you get super serious. Whether you fold your hands or not, you just kind of feel, okay, God, I'd like to talk now. And with some different kind of like, like if, if God's actually playful, how many of you laugh when you pray? Like maybe the most delightful prayers are arriba, arriba, they're, they're joy, they're laughter. What if, like, how many of us cry when we pray? Because if you're really repenting, if you really are like, God, I missed it. Like we all have moments with people that we love dearly where you just go, I failed you. And when we realize we failed them, what happens? Tears flow. That if we're really, if we really believe God delights and he plays with us and he's engaged with us and he loves us, then we should have the sense of emotion that responds to it. And I think we would pray differently and not nearly as seriously. Secondly, what if God really does love us with the intensity of a lover? What if, what if Elaine Putty is reading that John 21 passage right and his communion with us, not just with Peter, is like, do you really love me? Like, I love you. Say it again because I love to hear you say it. If that's true, and I think it is, then you ought to live with the security that if God loves you, nothing else matters. What happens when you're really loved, Right? I'm convinced the more that you're loved, the more that you feel like you could fail because it doesn't matter because people will really love you anyway. Like I learned and I had good parents and not all of us did, but I knew my parents loved me anyway and I knew if I failed, they'd be like, all right, let's figure it out, on to the next chapter. And if we believe God loves us that way, it gives us a confidence to live in a life that I think is really, really beautiful. 
Thirdly, what if God responds to us and can be hurt, sad, angered, and yearning for us? I think it changes, right? The way we both repent of our failures and the way that we celebrate with God. You remember coming home from a day where you're just like, and maybe it's not a week, but it's at least a day. Anybody else come home every now and then and just like, nailed it, like, <laughs> nailed it today. Like, did it all, got it done. Or you just have that sense of like, I did what God made me to do. I hope more of us than me have that feeling, right? And that's it, like, for me, whether it's during Lent and I'm not drinking alcohol and it's, I pour a glass of tea or whether it's on a typical day and I pour a glass of wine, it's my way of like, all right, God, like, hey, we got through it today. And there's this sense of like, cheers. Whether I'm, you're there or anybody else is there, like I'm lifting a glass, like we did this. Now let's go get them tomorrow. And I think if we really believe that, it'll change the way that we live. And then lastly, if you just ask me like, pastor, what's your big takeaway from reading this book? Like what would you want us to know? This is what I'd tell you. And, and again, I think for me, it may be one of the most impactful things that I've read in many, many years. Um, this is what I'd tell you. Uptight spirituality doesn't work. Like if you're, like that whole rigid, it, it's like, remember in the Olympics when some old Miles got the yips and she couldn't do anything, right? Like you just missed all the landings and nothing quite worked. It's anybody in any sport knows what this is like, right? You want to know why the Astros are the best team in baseball? And if you're a Yankees fan and you want to say, well, the Yankees have five more wins, they're better. God bless you. Um, <laughs> or if you're a Rangers fan and want to go, because they're cheating, like get over yourself. <laughs> you know why the Astros are the best team in baseball? Because they have more fun than anybody else. You watch them in the dugout and they are hilarious. And they've been doing it year after year after year. They have fun playing the game of baseball. And I have fun watching them, right? Now, you know this in any sport, right? If you play golf, it's crazy. But the more I'm like, I'm gonna crush it today. Like, and you, I mean, I will crush it into the water continually, repeatedly. When I finally get out to go, I'm the worst golfer in the world, and I just start hitting it, you're like, I was almost a hole in one. Like, how'd that happen? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. But the more uptight you get, the worse you get at it. And I'm telling you, spirituality is the same way. And I think most of the world has the spiritual yips. They just got so uptight that it doesn't work. And if you just start having fun with God and with God's people, beautiful things begin to happen. So Ecclesia, join us for Simple Feast. Like one of the best things we do here, by the way, and we have room on the site, is when people ask me about our Holy Land trip, this is my shortest summary. I go, it is equal parts sacred and party. So we visit wineries and we do food and culinary activities and we do all of it. And first one sold out, but we still have room in the second one. And it's because it's equally sacred and party, we have tons of people in this room like, I'm going for the third or fourth time because my heart's alive in that place that I'm engaging God and I'm having a blast. Now, you don't have to go to the Holy Land to do that. We can do it here at a barbecue. You can host a meal. But I'm convinced more and more ecclesia, that's the life God made us for. So I'm gonna lead us to communion with a prayer. And I wanna remind you, this meal we're about to have 
was a part of the meal that Jesus was celebrating where they were remembering God rescued us. And he's like, how do I help them do that well? You could barbecue a lamb. Like, that seems like a good way to do it. If that's not a party, I don't know what is. The mandate is wine and meat. That's the mandate from the Bible. Wine and meat. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a mandate I can live with. And so maybe you ought to feel like, hey, my mandate today is wine and meat. Now, if you're vegetarian, I don't know what you do. I don't even know. I don't know. Beyond burgers, I don't know what to tell you. Do something, but find what's celebratory for you. If it's asparagus, God bless you. I hope you can figure it out. Like, lots of salt, that's all I know what to tell you. Like, salt it well, put some smoke on it, and maybe it'll taste like steak, I don't know. I'm sorry, vegetarians, I shouldn't do that to you. Whatever it is, let's lift the glass. I hope in your house and in mine, like we just do a lot more of that. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.